This is the Education Gadfly Show. <laughs> yes. All right. All right. So you listening, researchers. That, that's our wish list. Who's willing yes. to give us the goods? What does Gadfly say? Hello. This is your host, Mike Petrilli of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. We're here at the Education Gadfly Show and online at FordhamInstitute.org. And now, please welcome my special guest for this week, the first week of 2020, Amber Northern. Woo-hoo, I get to be a full guest for the entire podcast. This is a first. It's I love a it. First. First, Amber is here <laughs> to do a special look back Woo-hoo. at the best research minutes of 2019. Woo-hoo. And we won't say that I'm only doing this because our last recording didn't work out. Amber, <laughs> come on. Yeah. Sorry, Cut. listeners. But anyway, I'll take it. I'll oh, take it. Oh, my goodness. Come on. Also joining us, David Griffith. Hey, Mike. All right. Well, this is exciting, guys. It is you know, it, it is the first uh, podcast of 2020. And we were remiss to do anything in 2019 about our best research. Research Minutes, which has become a little bit of a tradition yes. around here. Mm-hmm. So we are going to correct for that yes. right away. What Five better way to start than a whole podcast full of everyone's favorite Amber's Research <laughs> Minute? That's right. So we're going to give you more than one minute because we yes. always stick to that <laughs> a time limit yes. every other week. <laughs> no. All right. But I'm going to stop just a little after each one. Y'all can just blah, blah, blah. And then we'll move on. Okay. I got good stuff. Really right. good stuff. All yes. right. Sorry. You know me. I got to cheat every year. I've got to have an honorable mention. So I have like five plus one. Okay. Honorable mention already. Kalina Cortez and Jane Arnold Lincoln. It's going to be like the awards. I'm going to say the names. Okay. Okay. Match or mismatch automatic admissions and college preferences of low and high income students. I brought this to you in January of 2019. Started the year off with a bang. That's why I can't remember it. Okay. Um, This was built upon the work of uh, Carolyn Hoxby. Cortez and Lincoln conduct a study that examines the match between underserved students and their choice of college. Mm -hmm. It used that Texas's automatic admissions policy, which is no longer around, but which grants automatic admission to all public universities in the state to all students who achieve in the top 10% of their class rank within their high schools during their junior year. This was the sole admissions criteria, although they did have to complete the college application, take the SAT. Mm -hmm. They found that the difference in the effects of this admission offer on low and high income students, that's what they were looking at, Mm -hmm. key finding, automatic admissions policy reduced the undermatch among low income, high achieving students and Inducing them to apply to and enroll in more academically challenges mm-hmm. state, challenging mm-hmm. state universities. What are you doing? Finding? Boom. Right. That was good news. We started mm-hmm. off with a bang. That was good news. We liked it. All right. Number five. We're going to move on. Okay. Because, all right. Y'all don't have too much to say about that one. This was Matthew. Well, if you want us to say, I mean, we yeah, can. Yeah, I mean, number, <laughs> number five. Well, let me just say, it is relevant. Now, in the yeah. new year, there's this court case in California. Uh-huh. Uh, some litigants want uh, the California university system to get rid of the SAT. Mm-hmm. Right? right. I think there's a big question whether we think that's a good idea. It's going to put more pressure on grades. Right. Uh, that I could think it's a bad grade idea. inflation. I think but, it's a bad idea. But look, there is this point of saying that if you, if kids think, oh, I don't have a shot because of my SAT scores or something, Mm -hmm. or if there's some policy that encourages them to say, yes, you do have a shot, you should give it a shot. Anyway, there's that. There you go. Number five, Matthew Steinberg, Benjamin Ukert, and John McDonald. Mm-hmm. School as places of crime. Oh, I love that. Evidence study. from closing chronically underperforming schools brought to you in July of 2019. You guys love the study, right? Uh, yeah. District level policy in Philadelphia mandated the closing of 29 public schools at the end of 2011 and 2012-13 school years. That represented more than 10% of all public schools in Philadelphia. Closed schools were among the lowest performing, most 
under-enrolled. They serve significantly worse behavior, kids, blah, blah, blah. Their data set matched crimes to school location and student enrollment patterns. Mm-hmm. Key finding, closing bad schools is a key driver in reducing crime. That was pretty much the main finding. Analysts find significant declines in crime following school closures. Closures led to a 15% decline in total crime a 30% reduction in violent crime. Mm -hmm. The decline was concentrated among neighborhoods where high schools closed and in blocks that experienced the greatest decline in student enrollment following closure. And you remember, they also found the effect was concentrated almost entirely during weekdays between Mm -hmm. nine and five. And it did not just displace the crime. It didn't seem to, right? right. Right. That's right. Which was good. You know, there actually is very timely because there is a new article out this week about how there's been this, this, this terrible increase in shootings after school, like at sporting mm. events and the things mm-hmm. in high schools around the country. And so this is quite relevant. You wonder mm-hmm. if some of those schools are low performing schools, if those should be closed uh, and that might help. That's right. Mm-hmm. Number four, maybe you're going to remember this one. The impact of targeted versus general education investments, evidence from special education and English language learners in Boston charter schools, mm-hmm. July, 2019. This was Elizabeth Citrin. Mm-hmm. Well, she's good. She is good. She examined the impact of charter school attendance on academic outcomes for students relative to their pre-lottery special needs status. Mm-hmm. She made use of data from randomly assigned charter schools admission lotteries from 2003 through 2015. The sample included admissions lottery data from 30 of Boston's charter schools comprising roughly 90% of the sector. Key finding, charter schools remove special education classifications and place students with special needs in more inclusive settings at the time of enrollment at much higher rates than do traditional public schools. Mm-hmm. Related, they move special needs applicants to more inclusive classrooms 27.1 percentage points more often than do district schools, meaning they spend more time in general education yep. settings. We remember that and then and, and none of how do we do square we, that with that texas study though right <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, well, and and that this was showing that this is one reason why we've got to be so careful about making comparisons between charter mm-hmm. schools and traditional public schools. Yeah. Well, really, between any school when it comes to special ed and ELL, because some some schools would put kids give these kids labels, others wouldn't. Also, makes you think, boy, why don't we uh, expand the charter school sector in Boston? Yeah. Since those yeah, Boston wonder, charter wonder, schools wonder lots of things continue to be. Yeah. So incredibly yes. uh, high performing. For Large so many positive impacts. Kids. That was the bottom line. Remember they found, because she, she actually dug into and tried to look at mechanisms, right? Mm-hmm. And she did find like the longer school day and the significant mm-hmm. the emphasis on expectations. So that's why I like this site too. She actually did try to get a little bit mm-hmm. into the black box. Number three, social returns to private choice. Effects of charter schools on behavioral outcomes, arrest and civic participation. Remember mm-hmm. that one in June? Love the long-term <laughs> outcomes. 2019. This was Andrew McCacken, Doug Lowen, Sarah Fuller, and Rachel Pereira. They examined the effects of charter schools in North Carolina on several outcomes, absenteeism, suspensions in ninth grade, being convicted of a felony or misdemeanor as an adult, registering to vote and voting in a federal, state, or local election. Cool outcomes. Yeah, the it. study uses administrative data, again, from North Carolina, includes all students who attended North Carolina public schools from 2004 through 2016. Their doubly robust methodology finds that across all of these outcomes, charter schools have statistically significant effects on students who enter a charter school in ninth grade relative to students who attended a traditional district school in eighth and ninth grade. For example, entrants were 1.3 percentage points less likely to be chronically absent, 6.6 percentage points less likely to be suspended, 5 percentage points more likely to vote than their district peers. They break the results down. They find that Hispanic students and males experience the largest benefits of attending a charter school 
Oof, that um, was a big study. Now, remind me, on that one, it was a matching study, basically? Well, Is it was right? a propensity matching, right? And then they did some kind of fixed effects model. David, you just reviewed the study, didn't you? Uh, yeah, I'm, don't put me on the spot here, but <laughs> I feel like I, I was overly skeptical when we discussed that the first time. That's yeah. a huge study. Yeah, yeah, huge study. It's a hugely important study. But just to say that the, I mean, first of all, it seems super positive for charter schools and these mm-hmm. long-term outcomes, though it always does make me wonder when you see those outcomes, you say, okay, how much of this is selection? effects mm-hmm. uh you know that that is just really hard to scrub mm-hmm. all of that out mm-hmm. doubly so. robust mike doubly Re- robust all right i'll take it I'll it take was it. uh 15 pages of methodology on that one and and i think it yeah. was in i forget what journal published that but it was yeah. a good journal all right all right number two we're getting down to the wire here can successful schools replicate scaling up here we go again boston's charter school sector another sarah cahota's elizabeth citron and chris walters this mm-hmm. was an nbr paper that asked whether proven charter school models can successfully replicate or scale up and maintain their effectiveness? Short answer? Yes. Yes, in Boston. (laughs) Analysts examined policy reform in Massachusetts in 2010 that raised the cap only if it could be raised again. Anyhow, they were deemed, if they were deemed proven providers, remember they were allowed to expand existing campuses or open new schools in these mm-hmm. low-performing sites. As a result, Boston charters doubled from 16 to 32. These are middle schools. Most of the campuses were linked to these no excuses model. So from 15, it went from 15 to 31% of sixth graders attending charter schools during that rapid mm-hmm. growth time. Yep. They use randomized charter school admission lotteries to study changes. Basically, they're comparing the outcomes of kids who received the lottery offers to those who didn't. Mm-hmm. Bottom line, Boston charter sector remained effective while doubling in size in the post-reform period. Proven providers maintained their effectiveness after the reform. The expansion campuses did great, just like the parent schools. They found that a year of attendance at an expansion school increased math scores by 0.32 standard deviation. So you're saying that, that that they doubled the size of the charter sector mm-hmm. and the schools remained pretty much as effective. Right. And, and by the way, last sentence, the expansion charters produced these effects with kids that were more representative of the mm-hmm. general Boston population than students at other charters. Almost makes you wonder what would happen if we yes. doubled the size of every other city's charter sector. It if, does. If they're proven effective providers, right? Mm-hmm. It also sure. makes you wonder how Senator Warren gets this reputation as being the you know technocrat uh, who cares about evidence given these sorts of studies. Yeah. Right. Given her position on charter schools. Right. Somebody should send this to her. Yeah. Well, somebody should ask her. Thank you, Howard Fuller. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, anyhow, are we ready for number one? Drum roll. <laughs> Um, this won the number one slot because honestly, it was an interesting study, but it had the most creative study design. I hope you guys remember this one. Peter Bergman and Isaac yeah. McFarlane, mm-hmm. Education for All, a national mm-hmm. audit study of schools of choice. Again, this was January 2019, right out of the gate. January mm-hmm. was a great year this past year. So remember this common accusation that schools of choice skim students, you know, because they're easier to teach, so on. So they're like, yeah, we're going to find out whether that's true. So they conducted an experiment to test whether that's true. They sent emails from fictitious parents mm-hmm. to nearly 6,500 schools of choice. That includes traditional public schools in areas with intra-district school choice mm-hmm. and charter schools. 29 states and Washington, D.C., asking if any student is eligible to enroll in the school and if so, how to apply. Mm-hmm. And they had this little, you know, they randomly, the experiment randomly assigned an attribute to the child or no attribute, the baseline email read, I'm searching for schools for my daughter. Can anyone or son, can anyone apply to your school? If so, how can you apply? Mm -hmm. Then they added that one sentence at the end, remember, that said basically kind of indicated they were a special needs requirement, like 
her IEP says she needs to be taught in a separate room mm-hmm. or bad behavior or poor grades or good grades. And they were randomly varied. These other four variables like implied race. Remember they had this mm-hmm. sort of black sounding mm-hmm. or Hispanic sounding name. Mm-hmm. They implied household structure while my husband and I are looking. They implied gender. They like, just did this great experiment mm-hmm. where yeah. they were sort of, you know, varying all these different uh, variables. One experiment, they matched charter schools to the nearest traditional school with the same entry grade and within the same district boundaries. Bottom blind, key finding, all schools of choice. Traditional schools that have inter-district choice, again, mm-hmm. that was that, and charter. Less likely to reply to messages signaling that the potential applicant has bad grades, poor behavior, or an IEP compared to the baseline message. You guys remember which one had the yeah. worst response rates? I do. It was behavior. Yes, it was. The others were pretty modest. Mm-hmm. That's right. Poor behavior, a reduction of seven percentage points. The emails signaling good grades and attendance had no discernible impact. Mm-hmm. And is that also true for race? And, and then the one that indicated a Hispanic sounding name resulted in significantly lower response rates. Mm-hmm. The other ones, nothing, nothing. Okay. But we could pick up. And then they dig in. Remember at the end, they dig in, they try to like trying to figure out what mechanisms, potential, um, you know, drivers here. And they said that um, when they looked at charter schools in states that reimburse schools or district for a pretty decent chunk of the cost of serving special needs students mm-hmm. were about seven percentage points more likely to respond to the IEP treatment message than charter schools in other states. Interesting. Oof. So basically, yes, they do a little bit and we're defending them anyways. Well, I mean, it's it's happening right in, in traditional schools and in intra-district areas and charter schools. Yeah. So, Wow. How many of those studies were about charter schools, I at know, least right? in part? Were they I all know. or all but well, one maybe? Maybe three, many. Of, three of six, mm-hmm. yeah. I think. And, and is that just, look, is that, I mean, in part, we care a lot about charter schools around here. Charters. We think that they show a lot of promise, mm-hmm. uh, but it's also, it's kind of easier to study charter schools sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, you know, versus say, let's try to look at the impact of testing or, Voucher. you know, some of these other That's inventions. Right. And, and, right? and foundations care about charter schools and yeah. studying them too. Or so. maybe it's just that they get a lot of really striking results that they, wind up in great studies. Yes, could be too. They do. And so, you know, when I hear people say still that, well, it doesn't matter if the word charter is in the school's name or not. What matters is the school itself. And you say, well, that's a little bit of a cliche and not totally true. There is something about it being a charter school that does seem to matter. And most mostly in positive ways and maybe in some ways negative ways. Right. Or just, you know, not significantly different. Please. All right. Well, let me ask you this. What would you hope to see in 2020? Of course, knowing that any studies we're going to see in 2020 probably got started in like 2016. But still, <laughs> uh, what, what do you think? What, what would you like to see? Where are we wow. not seeing enough wow. uh, good work? I'd love to work? see a good study around finance, charter school mm. spending. Ooh, hint, hint, that hint, would hint. be good. That'd yes. Be good. And, and how it differs in traditional schools. So, yeah, we'd we'll see that. I, I'd love on. to see more on curriculum. You know, there, mm-hmm. there's definitely been a lot more attention to curriculum lately. There's been some studies coming out that are not super promising mm-hmm. on curriculum, which, you know, is this age old problem. Are they implementing it right is what's happening. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, for example, about the impact of, of sort of curriculum plus teacher effectiveness. Mm-hmm. Like, can you speed up the development of new teachers by giving right. them a really good curriculum? Mm-hmm. You know, we know it takes new teachers a while to really hit their stride. Can we speed mm-hmm. that up if they have a good curriculum or not? Right. Uh, where does that seem to matter? Mm-hmm. I'd love to know something of just something about like the supply of charters or some other reform. I, I, you know, I feel like we're facing political challenges right now mm-hmm. at the reform movement in general. And I would love to see more rigorous evidence just showing sort of what leads to what, right? Mm-hmm. We're always talking about the effects, but we have to think about what makes it happen in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a harder question, but I think it's important. Right. And and are we going to be able to really operationalize what ESSA 
has meant and the impacts right. of ESSA. Yeah. Because it just seems like, I don't know, we haven't, you know. We, we don't know yet. We don't know yet. Yeah. We should begin to Is see a new, we should begin to see well, a new generation of studies. On right. This. Or at least to look at variation, right? We mm-hmm. now have more varia- variation among the states in mm-hmm. terms of their accountability policies than before because mm-hmm. there's more flexibility, right? So right. it would be interesting, I think, to see mm-hmm. states that went all in on growth measures, for example, is a big right. part of their accountability system. Mm-hmm. You see different outcomes mm-hmm. than those that did not, different, right. how does it impact different groups of kids? Right. And this fifth indicator yeah right like yeah yeah it do work? yeah uh, aka no. uh, chronic absenteeism you mean yes all right all right so you're listening researchers that, that's our wish list who's willing yes. to give us the goods that's right all right well that was everyone's favorite Woo! amber's research many many minutes, minutes uh in the best of 2019 we will make sure those are listed up on our website so people can check out uh, those studies for themselves thanks so much amber loved it that was fun let's do it again next year yes we will all right that is all the time we've got for this week. Until next week, I'm David Griffith. And I'm Mike Petrilli at the Thomas B. Fordham Institute signing off. The Education Gapfly Show is a production of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute located in Washington, D.C. For more information, visit us online at FordhamInstitute.org.